Our text is Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Only Father, this is your word, Lord Jesus, that you spoke these words to people long ago and you have spoken them over and over into our hearts this week. I pray that you would speak to us now in this hour as we, as we uh, humble ourselves before your uh, word. It's such a serious matter here. We pray that you would give us a, a, a sober approach to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever talked to an old soldier? How many of you are old soldiers? You want to raise your hand? Old soldiers. Anybody want to admit to that? Nobody wants to admit it. All right. How many of you used to be in the military? Raise your hand. Can I call you an old soldier or sailor? You know, if you talk to men that, uh, and sometimes women, but my experience has been men, you talk to men that uh, were in combat, men in the Vietnam conflict or Korean conflict or, or even World War II, especially if they were involved in combat, it is interesting how they're rarely eager to talk about the details. Have you noticed that? They're rarely eager to talk about the details. They're not, it's not light talk to them. Many, many times I've talked to men who said, it's not something I want to talk about. And many times you'll talk to people, their grandfather, their father, grandfather, or uncle, or maybe aunt, or so forth. They've been involved in, in, in seeing the results of war, combat. It's, it's not light talk. It's not funny. It's not humorous. It's not entertaining. It's just very sobering. As I prepared this message for you today, I felt like an old soldier. This, when it comes to matters of the secret thoughts of the heart and moral purity, it's not, it's not funny. It's not light talk. If you're young and foolish, maybe that's something you joke about. But if you're an old soldier, it's not funny. And Jesus, in his dealing in the Sermon on the Mount with anger and murder, he used this pattern where he introduced, a, no, of course you may not have committed murder, but do you have unrighteous anger and do you have contempt for people? And if so, you need to deal with that right away. This is very serious, Jesus is saying. The same pattern is in this text this morning. No, maybe you have not committed adultery, but if you have adultery in your heart, it is a life and death, heaven and hell matter. It is very serious. God is saying, Jesus is saying, this is a serious matter today. We want to talk as a church about taking sexual sin seriously. They tell me, and I'm no expert at this, but Jesus directly addresses the man here. They tell me this is not exclusively a problem with men. There may be differences in the way men and women deal with adultery and lust and moral impurity, but it's not exclusively a man thing for a number of reasons. 
One is that we all have men in our lives. Men and women have you know, sons. You may have maybe a woman here. You have sons, other men that you care about, your husband. You may personally struggle with impure thoughts, and they may be expressed or in a different way than men. But it's a problem that, that, we, that is a part of, uh, that we all have to deal with. And so uh, it is good that we're preaching through what Jesus taught because this would be an easy topic just to skip and not to deal with it. But we're under the authority of the Word of God and we're going through the Word of God and Jesus gives some serious discussion to this. I want you to see this in a couple of sections. Verses 27 and 28 are really kind of saying this. When it comes to your secret thought life, you kind of have... Good news and bad news, or rather it's bad news and good news. There's bad news stated, and there's good news implied here. There's bad news stated, and there's good news implied. When it comes, especially what Jesus is focusing in on, is not just the act of adultery, but our secret thought life. The good news that, or the bad news that's stated, and you can say it's kind of in a bad way, you see it there on the screen, is that God knows uh, the secret meditations of our hearts. Obviously, he knows what we're thinking. He knows what we're meditating on. He knows what we delight in, in our secret thoughts. And he cares. You might not think that's bad news, but in a sense, it's, it could be seen as bad news, as sobering news. It matters to him what you think. He cares about it. And the Scripture is teaching here that he holds us accountable for what we think. He doesn't just hold us accountable for what we do, but he holds us accountable for what we dwell on intentionally, not, not thoughts that course through our minds that, that are ungoverned, but, but when we intentionally allow our minds to meditate on something that is impure, then God holds us accountable for that. And you see that there, as I read again, you've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent is already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's first section. What's the good news that's implied? Well, the good news that's implied is this. If Jesus is teaching this, then what he's implying is if he's holding us accountable for our secret thought life, this is a wonderful idea. It is possible to have a pure secret thought life. Otherwise, he would not hold us accountable for it. Now, it's impossible humanly, I believe. But, but scripturally, and we've been singing all about the gospel today, so it's kind of a hint where we're going, obviously. It is possible with God's help to have ongoing periods of pure, secret thought life. Moral purity in our secret thought life, then, is a very serious matter. And you see that from verses 29 and 30, because you have these like chilling, scary, poetic expressions that God uses. If your eye offends you, tear it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. This would be a bad time to approach a passage with wooden literalism because you would actually be running out of eyes and hands uh, very quickly. And obviously this is not what Jesus intended, but the intent here is that Jesus was saying, you need to act seriously on this. It's not something that you should allow to go on and on. Have you been to Cabela? Raise your hand if you've been to Cabela, a little audience participation. Wonderful place, isn't it? An entertaining place to go, a very manly place. I went there myself and looked in the aquarium and looked at all those dead stuffed animals and looked at all the cool clothes and wandered around looking at things. And my, one of my favorite parts was the restaurant. It's just the way it is with me. And so I went upstairs to the restaurant and um, I looked around to see what, you know, what's the deal? How do you get something to eat at Cabela? 
Well, I, I saw a line, kind of like a cafeteria line, and they told me they had some real manly food, which would make sense. Cabela, you ought to be able to sink your teeth into some pretty serious meat at a place like that. And so I go through the line, and I look, and it's nice. It's a salads and yogurt and yogurt parfaits and salads, and this is, a, this is kind of a cold turkey sandwich. Um, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll have a turkey sandwich and some chips, and I got that. And I go and I sit down. And I'm about halfway done with my meal when I see these guys walking by with my fantasy food. We're talking about roast beef. You might want to get your pen out and write this down. Uh, We're talking about roast beef, large portions of roast beef. We're talking about mashed potatoes and gravy. I'm a bold preacher, and I tell you this stuff uh, as we're approaching the witching hour of 12. Yeah, we we got mashed potatoes and gravy. We got hot buttered corn. We got slices of pie on the side. You got man food. And I'm like, dude, where did you get that? Because I just went through the line. I didn't. I'm like, I'm like, what? Another guy over here. It's like every, every man is like thundering through. He's like, you know, sits on this. I'm like, oh my goodness, hot, roast beef, mashed potatoes, gravy. I'm like, after a while, I'm like, where did you guys get that? And they're like, it's in our, it's in our hot food line over there. Like, there are two lines. Yeah, this is the girl line that you went through. <laughs> and then there's the real man line with the, with the good stuff, you know. It's like, oh, that's frivolous, I know. But I think about this. Jesus is not cruel. Jesus is not hateful. Jesus doesn't want to keep us out of the man food line. Jesus wants to put a banquet before us of things that you can enjoy that don't leave you guilty and full of shame. And this is true throughout our lives. This is true not just about food, but it's true about our sexual appetites too. God is the one who created our sexual appetites, and God has given us means to fulfill those sexual appetites or override them in a higher hunger, a higher satisfaction. God, He cares about our our joy. He, he wants to show us uh, really where, where the line is for the things that are good. And when we approach this, we, we don't want to approach it just in entirely a negative thing, but we want to approach it in a very serious way. And so what I want to do today to help you is to give you some practical steps to achieve a new level of moral purity. I have seven of them. If we get through them today, let's just go through them. And what, I, what we have here is a lot of Scripture and here's what I would suggest that you do as you listen to the message, whether you get full notes or not, and you can always email me and I can answer questions or send you notes back, my, my notes. I would suggest that what you do is you jot down all the scriptures because this is just laden with scriptures. Because the Bible is not silent about this matter of our secret thoughts of our heart. So I would suggest that you write down, and so we're going to spend a lot of time just reading from God's Word, scriptures really on, on moral purity. Number one, take your sexual sin as seriously as God does. Take, this is really the heart of the whole message. This is the heart of what Jesus is saying there. Take your heart, the sexual sin that's secret in your heart seriously because God takes it very seriously. 1 Peter 4, 3 says, the time is past suffices for doing. By the way, just so you know, I'm reading, I, I, I do my personal Bible study often in the ESV today, just for a variety here, just to get you hear words differently. These 
passage I read from will happen to be from the ESV today. Something I won't do all the time, but you read in your own version that you have to get a reliable version of the Bible and get these scriptures in you. But, I, but they'll, they'll sound a little different maybe. First Peter 4, 3. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lewdness and idolatry. A, a, a powerful, powerful passage in your Bible on moral purity is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You should be aware of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what verse 3 says. You want to know the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification or your, your holiness, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Remember what Jesus said, that sexual immorality in our secret thought life is sexual immorality. That each of one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no, that no one transgresses and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but holiness, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives us the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with me, that is a serious section of the Bible? Like serious warnings. So God is giving very, very serious warnings about this matter of our secret thought life and immoral acts and immoral thoughts. It's serious. This is the only place in the Bible. We have 1 Peter 4.3. We have 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that I just read to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 says it this way. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy or drunkards or revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious stuff. You see that? This is a longer passage from Galatians, but hear this, and you have this antithesis, you have this like contrast between, again, like we often say, think about, a lot of times Christian people want to debate about, you know, what's allowable for Christians. Drinking is a big one that always comes like, is it, you know, is it, does the Bible just condemn drunkenness or does it condemn drinking at all? And I say, we can talk about that and we certainly will and we'll write about that. But today, just think about this in terms of these things. What category does that stuff go in? Would that be like on the dark side or would that be on the light side? Would that be on the flesh side or would that be on the spirit side? Which side would you put that on? Now, having that in mind, Galatians 5, 16-25, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not of the law, and the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, that's a bickering and so forth, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, the Baptist sins, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is serious business. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They, if, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You see that just contrast, light and dark, the things that belong on this side, the things that belong on that side. We can walk on the light side by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not in sensuality, not in drunkenness, not in bickering, not in hatred, but 
in the fruit of the Spirit. We can do that. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Let me suggest some reasons why this is serious. Because if you get involved in this kind of thing, it will crush your fellowship with God. That's the worst thing about it. It will crush your fellowship with God. That's if you understand the burden of the guilt and the shame. It will crush your fellowship with God. This is secondary, but very important. It will damage or destroy your marriage or your potential marriage. This is a serious matter. And we hear this all the time. It will leave your family vulnerable to Satan. You, what did Jesus say? If you're going to spoil a strong man's house, you bind the strong man. And we'll talk about this a little bit later today. But if the strong man is bound, if the man of the house has the guard down when it comes to moral purity. He can't expect that Satan won't get to his daughters and Satan won't get to his sons and Satan won't get to his wife. And it might be that he'll get to them. It might, it might be that the man will indulge in secret immoral thinking and the wife will be oppressed in fear and won't be able to figure out why that is. It might be that the man will give himself to secret immorality and the daughter will be overcome with, de- with depression and not be able to figure out why. But the evil one is oppressing because he has the wherewithal to go into that house because the strong man is, is losing the fight. It's a serious matter. In other words, what I'm saying is, just to address the other men here, this is a battle we want to fight and win and get good at because if we don't, it'll crush our relationship with the Lord. It'll damage our relationship with our wives, and we're not being a real man with our kids, and we may wonder why God is getting to our kids, but because there's no strong man on watch saying, not in my house. It's a serious, serious thing. It may, according to what Jesus said, and, I, and, and this is hard to hear, it may cost you your very soul. Otherwise, why did he say, pluck out your eye, it's better to go to heaven with one eye than to have your soul cast into hell? Because this is a sin that will drag many millions of people into hell. I would just make some practical suggestions like on your computer to get canine or covenant eyes or other filters on your internet, for instance, or cancel subscriptions to cable channels that aren't wholesome. Clear off your iPod songs that are sensual. So many of them are. Don't watch television programs. It's kind of hard to watch television at all without being bombarded with sensual images all the time. And on a good day, just like speaking personally, on a really good day, a series of quick, sensual images can crash my own day and drag me down to a place I don't want to really be. And um, that may be true with you, too. There's a place on the Internet called Setting Captives Free, and it would be good for you if you're a man or a woman that you're struggling with, uh, with immoral thoughts or acting on those that you go to the setting captives free and, and take advantage of the course you have online, the mentor that they'll give you to walk through that. Get a trusted accountability partner, somebody that's trustworthy, that you can pray with, you can be honest and walk in the light, as it says in First John. Talk with a pastor or counselor. And I think I just increased my workload this week. But talk to a pastor or counselor. That's why we're here to help you walk through. And the second thing here is this. Reserve, and this is obvious, but it needs to be said, reserve all sexual expressions for marriage. There should be no sexual expressions, words, or or expressions, or flirtation, or any touching outside of marriage. This would be true of dating or courting couples as well. Sex is for married people. Ephesians 5.3 says, Sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. In other words, for us to have like frivolous or humorous conversational double entendre we joke about sexual things like our like a culture does is for us to violate this passage 
It's not even to be named among us. If you're doing that, then repent and, and ask God to cleanse you. And understand, if that's happening and you have a dirty mouth, then it's telling you you have a dirty heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, God, help us in this, that if we have those clues that we're getting because of the things that come out of our mouth or the things that we find are funny, that we, this Jesus is saying, get serious, pluck out an eye, cut off a hand, get serious about this. Let's be a pure people. So, third, see any sex outside of marriage as potentially demonic false religion. Now, you, this may be a, a, a bit of a leap for you to get, but it's very clear in the Scriptures. You can see this in, in Romans. The Bible teaches that immorality and idolatry are, are often tied together, just like covetousness and idolatry are often tied together. In other words, when you indulge in immoral thoughts or immoral actions, it is a form of worship. You're substituting that for the worship of God. That's what the Bible says. In, in Romans chapter 1, verse 24, God, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Do you see the impurity and the idolatry Impurity is idolatry. Does that make sense? Another way of saying this is like the positive way. If you want to have help, then in this area of immoral thoughts or immoral actions, substitute the true worship of the one true God for the immoral acts. Because it's worship either way you look at it. It's either false worship or it's, it's true worship. Worship is the answer to this. Worship is the heart of it. It's not just, oh, I must not do these things because it might hurt my life or I might lose my job or, or there might be something bad come to my family. No, no, the tragedy is you are, are worshiping a false god and that's why you don't want to blame demons or oppression, but Satan is very much involved in this area. And we need to recognize that it's a dark, frightening, scary, serious matter to have immoral, secret thoughts. It may very well be leading to a deep kind of oppression that we can't get out of with God's help. Purity is a matter of worship. Now, fourth, don't just try to look pure on the outside, but be pure in heart by God's help. This has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Matthew 5, 27 through 30, our text today. Listen to Mark chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. And what he's going to say is that even though we might have be bombarded by uh, sensual images all around us, that the real problem is in our heart of hearts. What it says in Mark 7:21, within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So you can't just cut off the internet, turn off the cable, and wear blinders through life because the problem is down inside your heart. You have to deal with it on a heart level. Romans 13, 13 and 14 says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I want to suggest this, you know, we live in a culture that spends a lot of time on the outside of us. We, we, we want to watch our diets. We want to work out. We want to comb our hair just right. We spend time fixing ourselves up. 
For some of us, that's just almost laughable. It's like, dude, in your best day, you're still ugly. You know, I mean, it's just like a lot of people are that way, you know. But, but, but you know, it's been, and the scriptures say that, you know, bodily exercise profits some, right? Bodily exercise profits little. Exercise yourself instead to godliness. So this is kind of what we're saying is like, how much time do you spend working on the outside? How much time do you spend making your hair just the right shade or color or, or getting it to grow? Um, or, 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 you know, or, or how much time do you spend trying to reduce your body fat or lower your cholesterol? I mean, the older you get, the more. This is like a cottage industry. Everybody's talking about that. And, but Jesus is saying, work on the inside. That's the eternal part. It's going to last forever. First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter 4 and 5, talks about the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. This body, the Bible says in chapter 5, is a tent. It's coming down. But we have a dwelling that's eternal in the heavens. And Jesus is saying, work on the inside part. This is encouraging because we're all getting old, wrinkly, and fat, and all that. We're going to die. Our hearts are going to quit. And, and eventually it's like, then, then when we see... Your spirit, what's, is it going to be robust? Is it going to be like strapping? Or is it going to be like you're a puny? You have big biceps and a really shriveled little soul. You have beautiful face and a really ugly spirit. Jesus is going to look at our hearts. So this soft bumper booking. Fifth, when you fail, repent and keep repenting. When you fail, repent and keep repenting. Go back to the cross over and over again. Thank you, Pastor Pine, for choosing those cross songs today. Those, uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's the answer. We go back to the cross over and over again. Remind, in other words, somebody said it this way, and I love it this way. Preach the gospel to yourself over and over again. Preach the gospel to yourself. Understand this. You can't just go sin and have no consequences in your life and no repercussions and go back to the cross and say, well, you know, hey, Jesus, you know I'm a sinner, and you always have mercy, and you're long-suffering, so we're all good, right? No. Remember when David sinned in this area? He went back, and did he get forgiveness? Yes or no? Yes, he did. And were the consequences completely wiped out from his life? Yes or no? No, not at all. See, that's why we should fear God. That's why we should love holiness. Not that there's not forgiveness. Not that there's not a way to the cross to to have our shame lifted, but because sin takes such a bite out of the things that are precious to us. Sin takes such a bite. This is ser- Do you see it? That's the whole idea of the message. Jesus is saying, this is a serious matter, and I want you to take it seriously. But what you do is, when you fail, repent and keep repenting, going back to the cross over and over again, preaching the gospel to yourself, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse you. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20 says. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Like spiritual suicide, right? You are spiritual abuse. Or do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Remember, there was the temple where the glory came in the Old Testament, and now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you're the, the glory is supposed to drop on your life. You, and so, but if you get involved in immorality, no glory in your life. It goes on and says, you are not your own. You know, the gal gets up in the morning and says, I'll wear this dress that's too tight or too low or too short if I want to because it's my body. It's got bad theology. It's not her body. Her body belongs to the Lord. The man who says, in my secret thought life, I can do whatever I want to do, is not right. His secret thought life belongs to the Lord, and he's a fool. He's a fool. So understand this. All... Temptation. Think about this. If this works this way, if when you fail, you're going to repent and you're going to keep repenting 
and the, and the periods of disobedience are going to be shorter, and the, the repentance is going to be quicker, then what is going to happen if Satan is, is going to tempt you, he's just going to push you back to the cross over and over again? Does that make sense? You're going to be tempted, you're going to read your Bible more, you're going to read your Bible all the time, you're praying all the time, you're going back to the cross all the time, beat him down! Like, go after that. Just go back to the cross over and over. After what? You look around church. Some people sing songs about the cross. They act like they don't even get the story. They're like, well, all right. It's like, wake up. What would you do? Take a sleeping pill before you came to church? But then you got sinners that are there. They're like, God, thank you for that one. I needed that one because I got dark, shameful past. I lo- you know, you take a look around. You can see the people that they got a past or they know they got a past because they're singing like they mean it. They love the Lord. It's like, oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord on my soul. Amen on that. That's awful. Wonderful. So we have, uh, see, this is a lifelong battle. Listen to Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these who you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Listen to this beautiful passage from Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. A lot of times I end my emails with, under the mercy that's where you want to stay. Under the mercy. Some of you might be helped by this. David Paulison has written well on this. And he says, how do you know when you're making some progress in this area? And he gives some examples. Look, this throw you in no extra charge. There's a decrease in the frequency of your sin. You're making progress. There's a change in the nature of your sin. For instance, maybe there was a time when you would go and look on Internet pornography And now you don't do that, but you still have thoughts sometimes you dwell on, but you're not going to see you're making some progress. It's good. Um, there's a change in the battleground, similar to what I said before, a change in the battleground. Bill Gother one time said, when you want to talk to your sons or, or, or daughters, you want to ask them questions, there are three battlegrounds that you fight the, the fight about moral impurity on. One of those battlegrounds is in your thought life. The other battleground is in your actions. And the other battleground is in your habits. How many battlegrounds are you fighting on? And many will say, I have immoral habits, or no, I just have immoral actions, or no, I have just immoral thoughts. And you want to move, making progress. This is the way sanctification works, a progressive. So don't be overcome with shame and guilt and remorse that takes you away from the cross and gets into self-condemnation. Make progress. Seek God. He also says, you can tell when you're making progress by when you're not always responding to temptation or stress or self-pity with sin. You figure out a different way to respond. Say, you know, you know your heart and you realize it's self-pity that gets you into these times when you're allowing your thought life to run away. And instead you say, you know what, I got to my Bible that night. This came to my mind and I decided what I was going to do is I'm going to go to bed with my Bible. And you're laying in bed and you're closing your eyes and the scriptures are going in through your mind and you're having fellowship with the Lord when normally you wouldn't have pure thoughts in your mind and you go, chalk one up, that's a win. And then you put those wins together. 
And then repenting more quickly is a way you can tell you're making progress. Or, or learning to love others or considering the interest of others or realizing that the images that you're looking on are somebody's wife or somebody's little girl, a real person. And then number six... Train your heart to delight in your own husband or wife. This is God's provision for you. Proverbs 15, excuse me, 5 and 6 and 7 are beautiful on this, but chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 say, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely, dear, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight and be intoxicated always with her love. God, for married people, has given this beautiful opportunity to have memories that are appropriate for you to think about. Beautiful, happy, intimate memories that are all right to dwell on. And that should be the focus of your heart. Let her satisfy you at all times or him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 through 5, study that on your own. In other words, as a way to enjoy secret imaginations of your wife or your husband and cherish those, and that's the way you should train your mind to work. And that you can do. It's possible to have long, long periods of obedience in your personal thought life. It's possible to have years of unbroken obedience in this. But some haven't exercised their, themselves in this, and they, don't have, they can't get from communion to communion. Can I just suggest maybe that's where you begin? We take communion, and you say, the next time I come to communion, I'm coming clean, not having allowed my thought life to indulge in some sinful thought that I dwell on. I'm going to go from communion to communion. And then you celebrate communion, don't you? That's so wonderful. What a wonderful thing to look around and know. So the final thing, and this is an obvious one, and it's why I've given you so many scriptures memorized. Meditate on scriptures on sexual sin. Did you notice how many I gave you today? This is a big deal in the Bible. It's a lot. Did you ever realize there were that many? Fathers and sons should go away. I took a couple of my boys camping one time. They always make fun of me for this. I took them on a camp out. Moon came up and... Uh, surprised me. I wasn't paying attention. Moon came, rose up over the campground, and me and the boys were camping out that night, and I talked to them about this area of their life. And, and, uh, and, and we've been on our knees together and marked out Bible verses, like a chain of Bible verses in it, so that when the temptation comes, you can go to the Scriptures, and you can go through these Bible verses and just get the truth of God and the warnings of God into our heart. The moon rose over our campground, and we, we, were, we, we, we talked about these things, and we're committed that my sons and I have accountability, and I have accountability personally with other pastor friends about my own uh, personal thought life and my own habits with my computer and what I see on my computer goes in an email to my accountability partner and he sees what I see and I see what he sees and I have blockers on mine because I'm not a strong enough man personally that if I have something pop up it's, that's immoral that I can just like, that I know that I will immediately reject that. And um, so it's a serious matter but all of those little screens and things like that, they don't deal with the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is worship. It's about Jesus. That's why I want to suggest that you wear out your Bible or Satan will wear you out. Wear out your Bible. Be a man of the word. Be a woman of the word. Don't read those trashy romance novels. Read God's word. Don't read the entertainment art. You don't need like the entertainment arts trash and all the different apps that you have or, or magazines that you have. That's just filthy stuff. You know that. People don't dress right. Don't have to watch programs where people are always dressing in lured ways. That's not, don't get that in your mind. And ladies, please, if I could just say this very gently to you, I know it's very personal, but 
If you don't, and many women do, I understand, but if you don't have a problem with like pornography, but you allow yourself to dwell in your heart on romances that aren't pleasing the Lord, that don't involve your own husband, then don't just look in condemnation at men and believe, because this is a, a shared sin. Let's ask God to set us all free and make us pure and clean. Keeping your vows is the glue of culture. Keeping your vows is the glue of culture. A, a pastor makes ordination vows. Him keeping those is the glue of culture. A judge makes a vow A public officer makes vows. Married people make vows. When those vows are broken, the culture flies apart. This is why this is so very serious. Vows are the glue of culture when I promise that I will do something. I want to close today with a little chorus. It's a beautiful little chorus. I just love it. I want you to sing it with me. Remain seated there for a moment. It's a talk. The chorus is called Restore My Soul. It's an old folk melody, so you'll pick up on it. And let's pray this to the Lord as we sing it. Sing it with me. It's a a tune of the river is wide. I think you recognize. But it says, prayer to the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to respond publicly. Just between you and the Lord. You're serious about this. You take things seriously. You're going to get other people involved. You're not going to go solo. I just know that. Can I say something here? I've helped a lot of people, and I've needed help myself. And often when you, you look at your sin like this, it's a big barrel of sin and if you, you go to confess and you get, you know, it's just heavy, it just kills you. You just got this big barrel of sin and you're like, oh, God, help me. And you take that barrel and you tip it over, you dump it out, and sin just comes out and your heart is lighter. Oh, there's a, there's a relief, you know. But sin is filthy stuff. And it sticks to the inside of the barrel. And I just learned that what, what a man needs to do, a woman needs to do with her sin is to get the barrel and scrape it out down to the last dirty filthy, shameful memory. Scrape it out. Get it out. Walk in the light. Scrape the barrel out. That thing you didn't want to tell anybody, that hurt that you have that nobody knew about. You're a kid here today and there's something going on in your life. You didn't tell your mom and dad. Would you please go to them right away? You can avoid great tragedies. Go to your mom and dad. They love you. Tell them I need your help. If you're a man here, we'll help you. Us pastors, the pastors are serious about this. Any one of the pastors, whoever you're comfortable with, the deacons, godly men in our church, there are many godly men in our church, that, whether deacons or not, you go to them and say, hey, I need, I, you know, if you can trust me, I need you, but I want to scrape the barrel here. That filthy scum on the inside of the barrel is like a handle on your back that will keep you from going forward. But if you will let the Spirit scrape it out, in other words, full confession, how big is it? Say it the way it is. How dirty is it? Say it the way it is. How shameful is it? Say it the way it is. And you will find that you will have a lightness of heart and a freedom and a restoration of soul that you didn't think was possible. I know that's true. Same happened. It's happened to me. Sing this with me. Restore my soul. Refresh my heart. Renew my life in every part. Reveal to me what sin remains. Sing that chorus again. And lead me to the cross again. Sing that verse again. Sing it with me. Restore my soul, refresh my heart, 
renew my life in every part reveal to me what sin remains and lead me to the cross again there's another verse Relight the fire that burns so strong, reminding me what you have done. My one request is to be changed, so lead me to the cross again. Isn't that a good prayer? I, uh, I'll talk to you like an old soldier today. I wish I didn't have so much personal experience with this. When I was 14 years old, and I began to have regular indulgences in immoral thoughts and actions, and I was probably 21 before it wasn't every day of my life. I wondered if uh, a person could really be pure in their mind. And then God gave me growth in the area, and I would go like a week or 10 days and just think that was just awesome and wonderful. And then, then 20 days and then a month. And later the Lord took me through a real deep valley where he gave me, you know, a real, a real thrashing. And then the victory and the obedience was lots, lots, lots longer. Lots, lots longer. Just not being able to, just an immoral thought come to your mind, not entertaining it. You can go for years in obedience this way. And yet it's possible to go for years and then to fail again. And I'll just speak from personal experience. Talking with a lot of pastors, or I'm sorry, a lot of men who had been to a conference and they were getting right with God. I'll be really honest, they've been really open and they were getting right with God. And this was a big sin that came up over and over and over again. And these guys were being honest with each other, being, it was so beautiful. God let me be the song leader during this conference. Hundreds of men would crowd in and they would just sing hymns. And their favorite hymn was, And Can It Be? And their favorite verse was, my chains fell off. Who said that? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And they sang so beautifully that it was just like shocking, beautiful. It wasn't just music. It was anointed. They just, it wasn't that it was perfect music. This guy just bellered for Jesus, you know. And they sang so beautifully that one of the leaders said, let's record this. It's rough, but let's just record it. And so we recorded, and can it be, and I sang the wrong version. And we didn't sing the version, my chains fell off. When we got to the end, the guys just began to shout, we want to sing, my chains fell off. We want to sing, my chains fell off. Go back, sing, my chains fell off. And these guys who had been set free and been honest morally, they just sang this stuff. They cheered and sang and shouted like, wow, it was awesome. And after the conference, many of their young people went on journeys to the heart. 
some of the men, the boys, were with me. And we'd be up in the north woods, and the guys would be around on their knees, and they would come to me, and they'd say, I want to get right with God. I want my mind to be pure. I don't want to live in this defeat anymore. And I would say, what made you decide to do this? And they would say, when my dad got right with God, then all of a sudden I started feeling like I wanted to get right with God. (laughs) So they got right with God. We got kids up north right now, and we want them to get right with God. But in our church, we're kind of good at telling the kids to get right with God, and we're not so good about getting mom and dad right with God. But when these men, they got together, they got right with God. Wow, I've never been to anything like it. Would you like to hear a little of that recording? Listen to this.